This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast, show 283. I was 37 years old. I had a, a job. I had savings. I knew I was bankable. I knew I could refi out of it. I'd already checked that out. And I, uh, $30,000 and $10,000 of my own money into it was not going to make or break me. That one deal. Yep. But I waited for 15 years to do that deal. And so it was the best, no matter how badly it went, it was the best deal you could have ever done because I did it. You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. What's going on, everyone? This is Brandon Turner, today's host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here with my co-host, Mr. David uh, what was it? The man TM green. How you doing? David you can't the man. ask me what my own nickname <laughs> is. Anyone who picks their own nickname, I've already determined it's not a person you can trust. <laughs> That's why they call me Brandon nickname picker Turner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, what's up? What's uh, what's new in your life? I knew you were working on some refinances. Did, did you go through yet? I got my refinance finished. I have money Ooh. again. And after <laughs> listening to today's guest, I am pumped to get in there and start buying properties. I mean, I'm feeling better than I have felt in a very long time. Yeah, today's guest is today's show is probably I would say the most, if not one of the most actionable shows we've ever done in terms of like, try this. Here's what this did. Here's what I here's my process. Here's my system. This, this, this. And uh, you guys are going to love it. So before we get to that, though, we've got to take care of some house cleaning, housekeeping. I don't know what the phrase is. Housekeeping. Okay, (laughs) whatever. Uh, First of all, let's get to today's quick Quick tip. tip. All right. Quick tip today is very, very simple. Follow David Green, Brandon Turner, and Bigger Pockets over on Instagram and Twitter. So David is at David Green 24. Bigger Pockets is at Bigger Pockets at all those places. And then mine is at Beardy Brandon on Instagram and Brandon at BP over on Twitter. Just follow us. We put a lot of our real estate deal stuff going on there on the Bigger Pockets channel. We're constantly sharing good things and little you know, stories of our users. So make sure you guys follow us there and tweet us or whatever and uh, kind of get involved in the community. Sound good? David, are you following me? Oh, I'm following everything you do. Brandon okay. actually posts really good stuff. In spite of the fact wow, that his thanks. face looks so weird, his Instagram <laughs> posts are really, really good. He'll post books that he's reading. He'll post wow. other investors that you should be following. I recently reached out to one of them. I think it was Investor Girl Brit. Brittany, if you're listening yeah. to this, shout out for you. She's doing some awesome stuff. She's like flipping her own houses and she does live-in flips. And this is someone who's like, what, 24, 25, maybe 26 years old. And she's out there making it happen. And every time I meet a new person that like someone like Brandon has vouched for, my business gets better because I'm learning from what they're doing. My confidence grows. That's how you do. And and our guest today is going to talk about very similar things, how he started going to meetups and meeting other investors and learning from what they did. And you guys are going to be amazed when you realize what he did in the first 18 months of real estate investing. That is true. So remember when you had to pay to get a leads phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. 
Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24-7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey, bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. If you're in the landlord game, then you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where RentReady steps in. Now, RentReady's got an important new feature, proof of income verification. And get this, with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. Say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with RentReady. RentReady is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. If you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for $1. You can't beat that. I actually don't even know how they make money doing that, but it's above my pay grade, pal. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like bigger pockets, investor, like me, to get six months of rent ready for $1, which is crazy. We got to get to this show, but I want to ask one thing. I, I learned something this week. So I learned that, that, so iTunes doesn't tell everybody what they're like, how they determine what shows get ranked well and what shows don't. But I read an article that said that pretty much they're sure now that the way they base their rankings is off of people who subscribe to a show. So I'm asking for a favor. Everybody listening to the show, make sure you are subscribed to this. Even if you listen to this on YouTube or on something else, go to iTunes and subscribe to our show. I want to see if that actually bumps up us in the, in the rankings for podcasts so we can reach more people. So that's it. That's a second quick tip of the day. And with that, I want to jump into the show because it is an amazing show, like we said. So today's guest is... Paul Thompson. Now, Paul is a guy that David, you actually met at a conference one time. You were blown away by him. I had some other people that knew him were blown away by him. I met him today here on this podcast and I am blown away by him. You guys are going to love it. He is a real estate investor who went from nothing like real estate wise to financial freedom in a very short amount of time. Uh, and while working a full-time job, it's fantastic. 18 deals in eight months. Plus he's done a whole lot more since then. So you guys are going to love it. 
So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Paul Thompson. All right, Mr. Paul Thompson, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How you doing? I'm doing awesome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this should be a lot of fun today. We're going to be talking about your story. And I know that you used to have a job and you no longer have a job because of real estate. That sounds like the summary of your story, right? Yes, all that's right. right. That, that's I, all, I, that's all no we need then. Have a day job. All right, that's all we need. All right, thanks guys for watching the Bigger Pockets podcast or listening today. Uh, just kidding. All right, let's go through it. Let's, let's talk about how you got started, your very first deal. You know, like what did you do before that? How'd you get into it? So first off, I was a uh, I was a computer engineer. I was a kind of a by day. I was an engineer and I would do investing in the evening. But at first, it was always stock investing. It was the solo or the four hundred one k and the IRA that sort of thing. The dark and the dark side of investing. Yeah, yeah, like it's, it's, the empire. Right. <laughs> right. I'm right. become a Jedi or something, yeah. right? Oh, so. Yeah. The Jedi's are the real estate investors. That's how I look at it. Yeah. So, anyway. That's okay. right. So it, it took me 15 years. I was a sideline investor when it came to real estate. I read, I read some books and I, I was an agent for a short while to kind of, I thought that would be something good to like learn how to become an, an agent or a real estate investor. And then 2008 happened and everything crashed. And I, I wasn't an investor at the time, a real estate investor. But I, I knew that was the opportunity of a lifetime and I did not know how to capitalize on it. So I spent several years after that kind of figuring out how to become a better manager, how to become a better, a better um, thinker. Um, and I, I was finished an MBA program and I became a, a manager in, in corporate America. And I really poured myself into corporate, uh, corporate America. And at the end of it, I just found that I was just unfulfilled by it. And there was one about, about three years ago, there was one summer I was driving back from Gulf Shores, which is kind of where we go to the beach here in the southern part of the States. And I just felt empty because there was this, I just don't know. I, I couldn't figure out. I had, I had a 10 hour drive. So I mean, my wife hashed it out and I finally came to the realization that I couldn't stay another week. And the reason I couldn't stay another week was because I had the money. My kids were out of school. My wife doesn't work. I had to go back to work and I worked for a telecommunications company. I couldn't have asked to gotten to, to get off or, or to work remotely, even though they make the very technology that makes that possible. No, that's, <laughs> that, that was against the, against policy. So I had at that point, I realized that I had to engineer a way out of corporate America. I was vulnerable. I could have been laid off at any moment. And what you'll find out later, about three years later, I was laid off. And thankfully I had spent those three years working and replacing my income. That's awesome. All right. So let's talk about what was your very first deal? What'd that look like? My, my very first deal was I bought from a wholesaler. It was a uh, $30,000. It was in a working class uh, area of North Little Rock, which is just across the river from the Little Little Rock where I live. And it was, I uh, needed about $10,000 worth of work of repair. And it was a um, three bedroom, one bath would rent for about six fifty. So kind of like the, that standard uh, moderate low income type house that you see in the Southeast and the Midwest. And I've funded it with a private money investor that I found through bigger pockets. And yeah, and I did the bird method. So, and, and I, I'd done the study for it and I'd figured out what that, that was the, the, the bird method. I rented it for six fifty after doing uh, some repairs. I did very little of the work myself, if any, I, I did it with a partner that I met on bigger pockets. Uh, that was local. I met through the local RIA and bigger pockets, a combination of the two. And we, a joint venture effectively on it. And he was a handy guy and I knew I wasn't, I didn't want to be. And so he did the work and then we refied it. 
That's awesome. All right, let me just jump in real quick. There, there's, there's like five things you said there that newbies aren't supposed to do on your first deal. Your first right. deal, you shouldn't, you're not supposed to buy from a wholesaler. Nobody does that, right? Your first deal, you're not supposed to find private money. Like your first deal, you can't do it. I mean, you can't burr a deal until you're way experienced. Like that's what everyone kind of feels like. There's, these are a little bit more uh, advanced strategies, so to speak. And you did it on your first one. Like, I, I don't know. How did you get the, the knowledge to do that? The guts to do that? I mean, like kind of, what was that mentality like when you were putting that together? Sure. The, the reason, uh, and actually I do oftentimes would suggest to many uh, newbies to not do some of those steps, depending on where they are in life. I was 37 years old. I had a, a job. I had savings. I knew I was bankable. I knew I could refi out of it. I'd already checked that out. And I, uh, $30,000 and $10,000 of my own money into it was not going to make or break me that one deal. Yep. But I waited for 15 years to do that deal. And so it was the best, no matter how badly it went, it was the best deal you could have ever done because I did it. Yeah, that's so true. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, we talk about that a lot here, right? It's like the first deal, whether or not it's a home run, it doesn't really matter. It's not going to make you rich. It, it's just, it gets that train moving. It gets that momentum going. Right, it's the momentum, right? Yep. Which I talk about a lot is, is you want to create escape velocity and whether or not you actually want to quit your job or not, you want to build enough momentum so that you can kind of get out of the, the gravity orbit and you kind of get into the stratosphere so you can actually really build momentum. And that's exactly what I did is just every deal I did subsequently was just this attitude of reach escape velocity. Escape velocity. I've not heard that. David Green, are you listening to this guy? This guy's getting more knowledge than you. This is impressive. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to crown him quite yet. We might have to have an analogy face off or something before. <laughs> we're going to have to measure our those, those guns again. Yeah. We're talking about. I'll go. <laughs> yeah, I keep my analogies way up here. Reminds me of Zoolander, the dance off. Remember the, dan- like, yeah, the dance off? Right. Dance off. All right. So let, let's escape velocity. I love that. Can you define that a little bit more? more like what do you mean by escape velocity um, and what does that look like so in rocket science you have to expend i don't remember the exact number but it's like 80 or 90 95 percent of your fuel to get out of the earth's orbit and so anytime you start or bootstrap any sort of business whether it be real estate or not is it requires a lot of effort on the front end and i wanted to to create enough of that momentum and enough streams of income to replace my one stream of income, which was my day job. And that's why I consider this escape velocity to get out of this kind of lifestyle by, by default that so many of us are told to, to do in our society in America is to go to school and get a job. And then consumerist um, lifestyle inflation kicks in and it's hard to escape. So you're, you've got to be the first person I've ever heard on Bigger Pockets that has said in rocket science and then <laughs> followed, <laughs> followed that with something that's related to real estate investing. That's very cool. It reminds me of something Brandon talks about a lot, which is his lift philosophy, where he's talking about like a plane getting out the runway. Brandon, can you kind of go into that a little bit and relate it to what Paul's talking about with escape velocity and using up 90% of your fuel to get out of the atmosphere? What are you talking about, David? <laughs> okay. No, so I, I, I started working on a book a while back and I'll, I'll pick it back up again. But basically the idea being... Yeah, it's like a lot of people give up, they fail, they never get started, right? The, the question we ask on every podcast. And let's say it's kind of like a plane. A lot of people like will build a plane and it never takes off. They, they try to take off and it crashes, uh, you know, like they just, but those people who actually achieve lift, they, they do take off. And then it's, it's easier at that point because you're in the air and you don't use right. as much, like you, like you said, you don't use as much fuel. You're, you're, the hard part is over. Yet I would say 90% of people, even those listening to this podcast right now, will not achieve that initial lift, or lift mm-hmm. off if you want to use the uh, rocket analogy. So yeah, right. I think I, I think that's that's true, and a lot of people just really struggle with getting that 
that first deal, which is the best deal. The most important deal is the first deal because that will lead to the second, which will lead to the third. So Even I'm, if it yeah. goes poorly, right? Even yeah. if it goes poorly. Yeah, because did, you're going to learn a ton of stuff. Did yours go poorly or did yours go no, well? Not really. It, it went, I mean, not everything went to plan, but sure. it, I mean, I had some problems that, that popped up, but you just, you learn from it. Every, every, I look at it as every problem you come across is some sort of a trial and it's a trial and tribulation. You're like, okay. And, and when you're, I look at, I approach things very scientifically. And when you're doing some sort of scientific experiment, you try something, ah, oh, that didn't work. That was a, t- that, that was a case study. That was a trial. Now yep. you iterate and you just keep repeating. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I really like that's why. Thomas Edison needed somebody who tries to make the light bulb, right? Because he just had to try a thousand ways that it wouldn't work. And then right. he figured out where it would. So we, we haven't really done you justice, Paul. We haven't told people where you actually are in your investing career. You know, we've talked about your first deal. We're going to dig back into that in a minute. Can you okay. just, let's jump ahead really quick. Tell me how many deals did you do in your first 18 months? In the first 18 months, I bought 18 single family houses. And overall, I probably did about, I don't know, 25 or 30 deals, whether it be in my IRA or solo 401k or wholesales and a couple of flips. Okay. So wow. you like a rocket, <laughs> you just came in blazing, right? This yeah. is incredible. And that's what I want people to realize is that first deal, if you do it right, not if the deal goes right, but if you learn enough in it can lead to a rocket and leaving the atmosphere, right? And that's what I want to dig in, Paul. I want you to kind of give us your blueprint for how you got started and what you built, what you learned, what tools you added to your tool belt mm-hmm. that allowed you to get to the point where now you are full-time real estate. You are kicking ASS when it comes to this job. <laughs> I mean, like when I talk to you, you're one of the most humble people, one of the most smartest people that I've met of all investors. And I know you're absolutely one of my favorite ones. Help people who are thinking, you know, I want to get started in real estate, but I just don't have the confidence or I don't know what I need to be doing. Lay out the blueprint of what you did so we can all follow it. Uh, the, the blueprint is I like single family because I think uh, that's what people tend to understand the best. And I, uh, if you choose to go into real estate and be an investor in real estate, I like, I want you to invest in something that you understand the best. And for most of us, single family is, is where that is. We, most of us live in houses or have lived in houses and we kind of understand the needs The dynamics are not, aren't that complicated. So you reduce a lot of complexity by doing that versus some of the other choices, even mobile homes. I'm still not sure I understand mobile homes that much right now. I don't want to. I want to do single families. It's a whole different dynamic. And so and a, and a whole, the whole deal, just do one deal at a time. Uh, build wealth with little deals by buying one house at a time. And it's and I, I, I'm always a little bit reluctant to talk about the, how many deals I did in a certain amount of time, because I think to somebody who is new or just getting started, that that can be a little bit of intimidating sounding. And there's lots of people been on the podcast that have done so many more than that. But even it, it just it's overwhelming. And you don't have to do that many deals. And I actually think how many deals or how many units do you have is the wrong question to ask. It's how much cash flow you're generating. You need yeah. to start with how much income do you need to replace your day job or replace or gain the goal that you want to get to. And for me, it's it's pile. It's passive income has to be greater than your living expenses pile. And that is the recipe that you want to follow. So if your number for me was $5,000, I had to have $5,000 a month to and, and where I live in central Arkansas, the cost of living is low. I had to have enough income from rentals that I could safely withdraw income from there to replace that $5,000. Once you hit that, that's what I call lean financial independent. I can't live an exotic life, but I'm done. I can walk away when that happens. Yeah. I call that like level one. There's like level one financial freedom, which is like that baseline. I can pay my bills. Yep. I hit that when I was 27. And then it was like, well, I don't want to live this way. You know, my number originally was three grand. If I had three grand, I could pay all my official bills. I didn't have any car payments or anything crazy. I was like, but then like, as you get older, you're like, well, I, I'd like to have a little bit nicer stuff than 
So now all of a sudden it went to five grand and then, you know, like it, it'll creep up over time, but it does that, creep. that level one though is what's so important. Cause once you have that, then you can get out of the rate ras- rat race, ra- ra- <laughs> 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 the rat race. <laughs> all right. You can get out of the rat race and have time and mental energy to work on getting to level two or to level three or however you want to define that. Right. Sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the margin, the, the margin in life when you don't have to go into this idea where you're exchanging time for money anymore and you're now you're financially independent. It's very lean, but now you have the freedom of time to, and you're actually making money while you sleep. And that's the key to wealth is you got to get there. Even if it's $5,000 or $3,000 in your case. So were you during this time when you were, you, you, you know, rocketed out uh, to begin, you started the first deal, you bought 18 houses in the first 18 months, which is amazing. Were you working a full-time job during this time? And if so, how were you managing that? So how, do, how do you do I, that? I was uh, working a full-time job and actually, well, for I didn't do, I, of all the houses that I've purchased to date, I've only done work on one of the houses and it was a house that needed literally nothing. It was, oh, it was so next to nothing. I mean, less than a thousand dollars worth of work. One of the things was replacing the oven door and after two orders of the wrong hinge and putting the wrong thing in twice and spending $500, which I could have just placed an entire oven for that. I was like, okay, nah, yep. <laughs> never again. I, I And I kind of knew that going into it, but I wanted to kind of test this theory, right? I, I like to test theories and let's just get into it and figure out how, how much time this really is and hot and sweaty mess and in, in the summer of in Arkansas in the South, that is not the way you're going to be an investor. I needed to learn and confirm that for myself. And since then, you hire it all out. I talk to landlords all the time. They talk about saving 150 bucks here and there to go do a call out for a plumbing issue. And I would never spend. And I ask people, how much do you think your time's actually worth? And most of us discount our time. We have no, we, we have no idea. I've come to the point to where I think my, an hour of my time is probably worth about $3,500 and it will only get higher over time. That's incredible. Tell me, but when you first started, you were working in a corporate job. Were you doing all this while you were working? I, I was, I did it on the nights and weekends and I, during lunch, I would run over and look at a house or something. But then I, I learned very quickly how to, that after you look at enough houses, you've seen enough houses. Yeah. I don't have to see a whole bunch of houses anymore. I, in fact, I have done a deal now using your method from your book, David, that, that here in Arkansas, just it's 12 miles from here. I still haven't seen it. I, <laughs> I use all the same principles That's because awesome. it, it, it scales, right? I mean, it doesn't matter. I don't need to see a house for it to, to know. Now people I trust part of my core four, as you call it, um, have, have gone to see it and I have pictures and I have videos and, I, and I've been through the neighborhood before, but I've never actually seen the house. That's amazing. Yeah. I love so that. that book was long distance real estate investing for those who haven't heard of it. Uh, I think that it's a <laughs> methods that'll work, whether it's long distance or short distance, like Paul just said, it's really just about streamlining your business and your system so that you too can be making $3,500 an hour, much like Paul. Now you, you mentioned, Paul, you bought your first deal with private money you found from somebody on bigger pockets. That is mm-hmm. awesome. Tell me how that came about. how did you make that connection? So we all kind of understand this principle that when you, for your first starting, you want to provide value to somebody else. You don't want to just be that annoying little 
you know, a person that's always asking need, need, need. I wanted to find a way to provide value. And so I went and studied everything I could. I read bigger pockets. I went to tons of courses. I spent some money on courses. I've read tons of books. And so I would go into those forums on bigger pockets and I would just add whatever value. And I would say, you know, I'm not sure this is what I've read. This is what this book has says this person's recommendation. I wouldn't say I already know this uh, until I've done it, but then I would just add value. And then I started talking to somebody on there and she lives in hot springs, which is about an hour from here. And she had recently relocated here and she's retired and she was well to do and she wanted to get into lending. And so I I went and met with her and we started chatting and she was trying to figure out how to lend. But I had done all the research already on how to do notes notes and mortgages. So I was very comfortable with the paperwork. So we just kind of hit it off and she funded it and she came and looked at the house with me and she said, what can I do? What kind of repairs are you going to do? And we kind of learn together on that process, but it was through the forum and the, the, the channel, so to speak, that bigger pockets offers. I, w- I don't know how I would have found her otherwise. Yeah, that's awesome. And we, you know, it's something we talk about a lot, you know, here on the show and just in, in the, on the webinars that I do and the podcasts that we do, like you need to connect the people in your local area. And that's why like every, like so much of what we do on bigger pockets, if you're somebody who listens to the show, not you, uh, Paul, but like if listeners are you listen to the show maybe, or maybe you're watching this on YouTube or you're listening on your iPhone or whatever. That's great. Like that's great to get information, but nothing replaces that like interacting with real life people who are doing it. So I'll just encourage you guys, like if, if you get into the forums, talk to people. I mean, even if you don't think you have any experience, do exactly what Paul said here, or maybe even just go to the new member introduction forum and welcome people. Hey, thank you. know, Glad you're here. Welcome to the forum. Like little things like that, just build relationships and add tremendous amount of value. Uh, so I, I really liked it a lot. And I like that, you know, you, you built a relationship, you figured something out together because people on bigger pockets want to do real estate. It's like, right. they want to do this stuff. You're not trying to convince some like neighbor who's, who's afraid and never even heard of what a rental house is. Like you're not convincing right. that guy. You're talking to people who already want to do real estate. And a lot of people have money and they're nervous about the market and they would be w- very willing to partner. So, you know, again, it's not impossible to get private money or to partner with somebody or whatever on the first deal. It's doable. And you had the confidence to do it. So just uh, nice work there. That's cool. All right. Thank you. And uh, sub- subsequently I've, um, I would say that I've of the, of the deals I have now, I've only used banks, I think uh, on 10 properties altogether. And I've, I've very much a big believer in private financing and working deals out with other people and bringing in a, a third party catalyst. That's a human being that you can negotiate with. Yeah. On, on that note, here's a question I get all the time from people. Uh, they ask, well, why would somebody just lend me money, private money, when they could just go do the deal themselves? What's your answer to that? Not everybody wants to be a landlord. And so don't ever assume that what is important to you is important to the other party. There are a lot of aspects of a real estate transaction. There's all these bundles of rights and you can split them up in any, that's why I like real estate so much because it's so variable and a value is subjective. Don't ever assume that what you want is what somebody else wants. That's really good. You yeah, just- there's a lot of good stuff you're giving us here, Paul. Tell me a little bit of the specifics on how you're finding deals. Like in order to buy 18 deals in 18 months, you're doing a lot mm-hmm. of deal finding and you're doing a lot of fundraising. Let's focus on how you're finding deals, what your strategies are, why you think it's working for you. Okay. So first off, the first 10 deals, which I bought like within two or three months when I started, I bought uh, all through wholesalers. And I was networking. I was going to the local RIA. And, the, and at the time, I was lucky the local RIA was kind of re, being reinvigorated by a seasoned investor at the time. And so I was started making a lot of connections. And I would do this thing called uh, microphone marketing. And so every time I would get there, every RIA I would go to, I would go in front of the room and I would, I would grab, the, you know, if, if you have a deal and I would grab it and I would talk about 
uh, a deal that I was working on or a deal that someone wanted to partner on. And then just, I was making it clear that I was in the room to do deals. I wasn't a looky-loo. I was serious. And that kind of stuff just, it, it's a long-term in play, but it's a very successful, you want to build this extensive network of, of people. And so I, I just didn't find it that difficult to, to, to raise private money. And so the way I found deals subsequently after that was I wanted, I didn't want to to always be uh, relying on wholesalers. I want to be able to control the deal myself. And that's really the key is you want to be able to control. If you want to do this as a onesie twosie and get a few here and there, that's fine to buy, to buy from wholesalers. But if you want to be in a business and replace your day job, you want to control the deals. That's the key. And so I've done all the traditional things, uh, bandit signs where it's legal to do so. Um, I've done direct mail, uh, a very varying different categories. I've done door knocking, door to door, almost got arrested. So there's definitely <laughs> got to be, true story. You got to be aware of the local ordinances where you can actually legally door knock. Um, and then you, I did um, driving for dollars. And then I also do this thing called farming off of Zillow and Craigslist, which isn't really all that revolutionary, but there is a deal of every 40 um, deals on Zillow or Craigslist, at least in my market, I suspect in other markets too, there's a deal. You just have to go hustle and do it. And so I would automate some of that. I hired some VAs after I started scaling up and I had them just sending offers. And I got to the point to where I don't go and look at a property unless I can get the person on the phone that's a motivated seller or a seller. They have to show motivation and they have to come off 80, or 15% to 85% of what they're asking for or what I think it's worth before I go look at a property. That's okay, awesome. that's good. Tell us a little bit about what you have your VA doing. Okay, I don't have that one anymore, but the, the idea that I was I was running was that I, I the VA I hired through Upwork.com and, and I hired and I I recorded everything I did on Screen Nomadic. So and all this is free except for actually going through Upwork and hiring them. I mean, it was like three fifty an hour, super cheap. And all they did was just replicate what I would do. And I had this three letter option of intent calculator and I had this, um, I use Podio and then I use Zapier and I would just have them go through this calculator and just plug in a value. And then every house, it needs at least $5,000 of repair, no matter what, no matter how, how perfect the pictures look. Yeah. And then based on picture quality, or then you run some numbers that if it's a light rehab, it's $10 a square foot. If it's medium, it's 15. If it's heavy, it's 20. And then you just, you take off that percentage of repairs and you make a cash offer. And then I do two owner financing offers. I don't care if they have a mortgage or not. I don't know. I don't care. I'm just going to make an offer that has cash, which is low. It's like 50% low. And, and then there's owner financing um, of completely principal only or owner financing interest only and, and with, with, no, with no interest. And so they basically click a button on Podio and an um, offer gets emailed to them or mailed to them physically. Okay. Let me make sure I got this right. So you've got your VA that's calling a list of properties that you've given them that you bought from a title company or wherever you buy your list from. Right. They're giving this script that you've made. Hi, I'm calling to see if you want to sell your house. You're looking for motivated sellers. When they get someone that says, yeah, I might be interested in it. They go mm -hmm. to Podio and they send a letter to this person, either in the mail or email or whatever they have. And right. that letter is actually a three option uh, letter of intent where you're yep. saying, look, I want to buy your house. I can give you this price in one of three ways. A, here's my cash offer. And I believe you're saying it's about 50% of what you think the property would be worth, 
right? Yeah, yeah, depending on cost. But yeah, typically it's about like that. Around the 50% number, right? So it's yep. a very low number. And Brandon talks about this all the time that he likes to give people options when he writes low offers so that they're not as offended. Mm-hmm. Option two will be, I will buy your house for this price, which is significantly higher, but it's owner financing. A principal and interest rate or loan at an interest rate of whatever, I can pay right. this much. Or I can give you this much, which is much closer to the highest amount possible if it's owner financing at a 0% interest rate or something yep. like that. Yep. So they, if they're motivated, have three different options that they can look at and decide which of these is best for them rather than a yes, no option. Oh, you're yep. giving me 50% of what my house is work worth. Forget it. And the beauty of this is that you can do this at a huge scale because you've got a virtual assistant making the phone calls and, right. and they're just sending a letter that you've already designed to all these people. When I first heard you talking about how you're doing this, I just thought it was genius. It is so simple and it is so effective because you're not wasting your $3,500 an hour time making these phone calls. You've got a VA who does it for three fifty, which actually is a nice round number. What is that? Like half of a 1% or something like that. Yeah. A 10th yeah. of 1% that, that you're paying for this work and you're going to get people that say, yeah, I want to buy my house or sell my house. And then mm-hmm. even if they don't go for the three option letter of intent, you now started a dialogue with them and you can see how right. motivated they are. That is a very simple plan anybody can put in place that will get you results if you're willing to put in the time. That's right. I love that. And I, I love that, you know, we talk about at Bigger Pockets all the time that everything, I mean, at least I push it because I think this way all the time, but everything's a funnel, right? Like if you want to buy more real estate deals, you've got to make more offers, which is what you, you built a system to basically automate that process. Offer making. Right. Offer yeah. making. You got to analyze more deals. You built a system to automate that and then mm-hmm. lead generation. And so you were buying, you were buying a list. Where did you get your list from? Or how did you get that? This was from, um, there's two different ways. One is by scraping Zillow and Craigslist. And you have, I have a different VA that would, was not as, I would pay them less. And they would just follow this simple recorded video instructions on how to go in and scrape this data and have this spreadsheet. And then somebody else, a VA would come by behind them and make these. And actually they would use text intentionally. I would use a system called CallRail where I could send a text and say, hey, I saw your pictures on, on uh, Zillow. Is that property still available? They say yes, then, so you just go through, through this if then else. And they say, oh, based on the pictures, I'm ready to make an offer. And you'll be surprised, nine times out of 10, people are okay with that. And they're like, oh, cool. don't you want to see the house first? And you're like, oh, no, I'm a, a local investor. I'm just, I'm familiar with an area. I'll just see if we're in the same ballpark. I'll, I'll shoot, you have an email I can send it to? And I, I, 40 offers, um, sometimes a day, but usually I would offer about 40 offers a, a, a month. I'm sorry, 40 offers a week a week doing that. In my market, you run out of Zillow and Craigslist leads if you do that very yeah. much. But then, then what's cool is you come back around with a different personality, a different person, and you make 85% offers on some of those same properties to see if they're motivated. And so you then do a test side by side test to see if the cash offer or owner financing offers didn't stick for some reason. Two weeks later, they get an 85% uh, all cash offer. And if they, that's interesting. I, I, yeah, I would like for you to come, I'll, I'll accept that, or I'm interested. Come look, see the house. There's motivation. Trial one didn't work. Trial two did. Interesting. So you're saying basically if you get rejected the first time, that's what you're saying, right? Then you mm-hmm. would go back and follow up with a, so instead of like the 50% number, you were saying you're getting right. more like close to 85 the- from a different person. They don't know it's me. Yeah. That's, that's the whole point. Uh, I, I wait two weeks to see if anything changed and then I send the 85. They might, they might be motivated. I'm probably not going to pay 85, 85 uh, loan to value for that or, or value of it, but they're at least motivated. They came off 15%. Yep. Some of the best deals I've found using creative means and then financing subsequently have been using that method. Fascinating. So when you say Craigslist and Zillow leads, are you talking about people who are listing their homes for sale by owner on those sites or are they rentals that are or listing rent. for rent? Okay. Both. Yep. 
The, the spreadsheet says for rent or for or for sale, and, and it actually says it that way. And you approach the, the 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 questionnaire that they go through on the text is a little bit different per if it's for sale or for rent. And if the for rents are harder to confirm or harder to, to convert, but you'll get the potential for a, a landlord that wants to sell all their properties, yeah, um, in a big lump sum later on. Yep. And I, I talk about this a lot on these web, you know, I host a live webinar every single week on bigger pockets, mm-hmm. which you all should come to biggerpockets.com slash webinar. Anyway, one of the topics we, we cover every couple months is how to find deals in a competitive market. And I tell people all the time, like most landlords I know would be willing to sell at a certain price. And on Craigslist, like there's a list of landlords every day. New landlords are saying, Hey, I'm a landlord. Look at me. Here's my phone number. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't get a whole lot easier in terms of lead generation than something like a little more, but nobody does it. Cause you know what? It requires either hustle and hard work or the intelligence to create a system that other people right. can work for you. And I love that you kind of use both that you did. You built the system yourself and that's the key to all systems, right? You build it yourself. You know how it works. You make the videos then you hand it off to somebody else and then your job becomes managing the process, which is just fantastic. And so, then we can yeah. take it to the next level if you're, if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Because you're, you'll run out of deals even doing that. The yep. next level is you go to property management websites and there, those are nice properties that are for rent and you do the same thing. You scrape off all the, the big property managers and you run the same process. <laughs> and that's where you get big portfolio potentials for big portfolios. I don't like to buy big portfolios um, at once, but I like to find uh, sellers who are willing to sell all their portfolio. And then I pick and choose the best deal, the, the best properties out of their portfolio. Yeah, that's fantastic. I really like that a lot. How are you getting, how are you getting the phone numbers of those landlords that are advertising their properties for I, rent not, or a property ma- manager? Oh, good question. I'm mailing to their, where the billing address is from the county records. Fascinating. You know, I, uh, this reminds me, there's a video that was out on, I think I was, I saw it on Facebook, but it's basically Google, Google assistant is getting like so advanced that now, do you guys see this video? It can like call and make you a hair appointment and like get you reservation. And it sounds like a, it's a real person saying with ums and ahs. And they're like, yeah, uh, can I do like six o'clock? My client looking for something for six o'clock. And the person's like, we don't have six. And I'm like, okay, well how long's the wait usually if they were to go at five? Anyway, amazing technology that Google's coming out wow. with. Imagine that- hooking that up with lead gen for real estate investing. Mm. Is it Google duplex? Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah. 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 Google duplex. Yeah. yeah. My buddy Kyle Ranky told me about that and I didn't believe him. I no, it's unbelievable. To you. Yeah. He sent me the link and I'm like, Oh my gosh, yeah. like there's O's and ums and mm, yep. that time won't work for me. Yeah, How about this time? It's amazing. Yeah. So yeah. Somebody's going to figure out a way. So who's listening to this podcast is going to figure out a way to hook up Google duplex to lead gen. You're going to figure it out, Paul, actually, because you're, Maybe, you're yeah. that guy. And like, you're going to have an automated guy just calling sellers and negotiating on your behalf without a real person involved. That's the future of lead gen right there. Never split the difference and, and uh, have all this rubric into it built in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're saying at 75% loan to value, I accept. Done. Yep. That's you know, amazing. If you're listening to this, you need to make sure you're taking action because Paul's going to buy every stinking house in this country <laughs> if you can start quick about getting getting your stuff together. Paul, one thing that you I know that you do that I've always respected about you and I love to pick your brain about is that like Brandon has this philosophy that the more tools you have in your tool belt, the more mm-hmm. things you can tackle. There's this saying that to a man with a hammer, everything's a nail. When you have a certain mindset, you, every every problem you come across, you try to fix it one way. You know, like if all you know how to do is fight, every time there's a disagreement, you look to punch the other person, right? You are very, very smart. And I know that you understand real estate investing because you've attended what, like 30 conferences since you right. started this a couple of years ago. Tell me about some of the ways that you will use different techniques on one deal to make a deal out of something that another investor might not have been able to do. 
Yes, I don't like to be technique driven. I don't go into thinking sub two for this one. I have no preconceived ideas. I go into it trying to figure out what the seller's problem is. And I ask, and I have questions that are opened in, what would you like to have happen? Why would you sell such a nice house like this anyway? And I want them to start talking. And most sellers will just chew your ear off and they'll tell you, they'll divulge way too much. Yep. Um, you, you would not think that that would, people would do that. But every new investor that I've ever worked with has always been surprised. I've had people, I had an, had somebody actually offer me a sub two the other day. Like that's the first that, that the seller themselves actually knew the terms and was offering it to me. And this was not a, a sophisticated a landlord type guy. It's like he just somehow knew. I don't know. But so I have a kind of like a hierarchy. I call it the martini method. And I start off as I always want to buy or, uh, owner financing first. And if I can't do that, then I go down to sub two. If I can't do sub two, I'll do a wraparound mortgage. If I can't do that, I'll think about lease options. If I can't do that, I'll think about this. And, and I go down to the last thing on the on that list is wholesaling. If I can only get it for wholesaling, and I guess really the very very last is wholesaling a lease option, which I don't really do that much anymore because it can, it, it just, it's really complicated and I don't like getting in the middle of it, but you can actually monetize scenarios where there's no cash flow or equity. So I'm looking for three things. I'm looking for motivation, cash flow, and or equity. And if I can get two of those things, uh, motivation first, and then the other two, then I, I have a deal. I can, I can do a transaction engineering service where I can find a way to monetize that so that they get what they need and I get what I want. Oh, I love that. This is why a lot of people say, you know, I, I've had a hundred phone calls from motivated sellers and I can't get a single deal out of it. And that's mm -hmm. true. You might just be marketing to the wrong people, but I think chances are you just don't understand all the different ways a person could put together a deal. Like mm -hmm. again, people, if all they have is a hammer and they're presented with a screw, what do they do? They start hitting the screw right. and it just snaps. It doesn't right? work. But if you have a work, lot right. of tools in your toolbox, you can start taking things off. I think, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think that's super cool. So anyway, Paul, you were going to say. You mentioned a lot of really good techniques that a lot of people are hearing and they might not understand exactly what they mean. Can you give me a hypothetical example of a deal that comes your way that mm -hmm. you're, okay, I look at it from this angle and that didn't work. So I say, well, this might work and kind of walk us through what that thought process looks like in your brain. Okay. So um, let's just use, which is very common in the mid Midwest and the Southeast is a house that's, uh, it's kind of the example that's thrown out a lot. It's a um, hundred thousand dollar house. It's worth that much. Um, it's, it probably is, and it will rent for about a thousand dollars. So it's just kind of a standard 1% deal that somebody from California or somebody else would buy in a heartbeat, right? They do it. I mean, happily, but to us local guys, well, we're, we're not from the land of milk and honey. We're just raining capital. So we have to come up with a little more creative ways. And so we look at those uh, kind of deals and we got we have to get it at $70,000 somehow for it to make sense. Not everybody wants to walk away from $75,000. So, okay. So they, you can get them down to say $80,000, but it still doesn't work. Well, if I could buy it for $80,000, but give them 50 down, they, you find out that they need $50,000 to pay off their, their debt and to buy an RV as a random example, because they want to go around the world. I've actually had this happen. Um, and they wanted money for their RV. I said, okay, well, if you need money for your RV and you need to pay off your $30,000 debt, would $20,000 cover you for your RV? Yes. Okay. Well, how are you gonna pay for your gas on your RV and your insurance? Could I pay you $300 a month for the next 10, 10 years to cover that? Yes. Well, then I just created a deal where it's kind of a combination of two deals. You could even get more complicated. You could buy You could buy that sub two, also do an owner financing and give them some cash to walk and a house that's in good shape for $80,000. If you net all that out, you're probably only buying it for 65 if you factor in the time value of money and the interest rate that you're paying may only be 3%. I can't go and get a loan for 3%. No one can get a loan for 3% unless it's from the owner. That's an example mm. of stacking 
three or four different options, cash, sub two and owner financing that I might turn around and, and lease option because I want them to get out. I don't want to hold that sub two forever. So I do a lease option with a two year deal and I agree that I'll pay them off in five years. Do you find yourself having to explain this to your sellers because they don't understand some of these terms? And so you kind of have to walk them through what this means and how you're able to give them more money. I love that question. I never use the terms owner financing. I never use the term sub two to to sellers. It'll blow their minds. And even when I'm talking to new investors, I don't try and throw those terms at people all the time. What I'm trying to get people to understand is the concepts. And I'll say, well, wouldn't you like to have some payments? Wouldn't you like some walking money? The walking money is cash if you want to have payments. And I think I I try and attach those payments to something I know they told me that they need. Where you don't get uh, all the money for the insurance and, and the gas in the example of the RV, you just find their scenario and you walk them through it. And lease options are especially hard because nobody understands what a lease option is. Even investors get confused what that is. I don't use the word option with investors too much. I use the right to buy instead. Nice, nice. People tend to overwhelm. I, it's almost like people will go to a motivated seller and try to impress them with how much they know <laughs> and their knowledge. But in reality, like you, you want to be like, you want to make them feel comfortable. If they get scared, nervous, whatever, overwhelmed, they're going to say no. I mean, everything's always no. Yep. Like, like, so how would you explain, because we don't talk about subject two hardly ever here on the Bigger Pockets podcast. It's been years <laughs> since we really did a show on that. Can you explain to the listeners, maybe the same way you would explain to a seller, what, what is subject two and how does that work? What are the pros? What are the cons? What are the benefits and risks? Okay. And there are lots of, it can be very complicated. I think it's thrown around by gurus way too much as, as an easy way for people to get in without a, lot of, without a lot of cash. So first off, if you're doing subject two, the term, and you'll hear this referred to as sub two or subject to investing, but I, I kind of don't like that because that's vernacular for one particular use of the concept of subject to all the terms subject to in legal speak means is exception to title. I can buy a house subject to an easement that is there. So when it comes to investors, when we talk about uh, ways of getting financing, using somebody else's uh, financing, it's already in place. You do subject to the existing mortgage. I, and the way I tell people is I'll agree to make your payments for you. I'll own the property, but it's my responsibility to make the payments from now on. And I've had mortgage brokers that I've worked with that have agreed that they are the seller and they were mortgage brokers. And they said, sure, that's fine. Uh, I was like, you, know, you never know until you ask. I was nervous. To, I mean, I knew he's a mortgage broker and he said, sure, let's do that. <laughs> that's funny. So what about, so tell us about the, the, what does it do on sale clause and how does that affect, like, how does that play into right. this? And he did not ask me about the do on sale clause. I had to say that now you do, you are aware you're a mortgage broker. Let me explain. So most modern or practically every, every modern traditional bank note these days or mortgage these days has a due on sales or an acceleration clause. And it gives them the bank, the note holder, the right to accelerate the clause if title exchanges or title transfers. It it doesn't mean they have the right. It doesn't mean they will or, or it's illegal. You have the, they have the right to accelerate. So it is a potential risk. And so I don't like to take on subject twos unless I know there's a lot of equity in the deal or a ton of cash flow that makes it worth the risk because I am so careful with subject to investing that somebody is putting a lot of faith in me and it is not a technique that to be is to be used lightly just because you can. And sometimes somebody will offer subject to the existing mortgage and you're like, oh, they did it. They're going to do a sub two, but you don't want that deal because there's no cash flow in it and it has no equity. Just don't do it just because they agreed to it. 
So what I want to make sure we highlight for everybody is that when someone's giving a loan to someone else, a bank to a to a borrower or like me, if I'm the lender, I, I would say, hey, I'm willing to let you borrow this money from me, Paul, because I know your credit score. I know your debt to income. I trust you're going to pay me back. But if you're going to go give title to someone else, well, now he's got to make the payments and I don't know that guy. Right. So I have the right if I don't like that you're transferring title to someone else to say, no, now you have to pay off the loan in full because I don't want to get payments from this person because I can't trust that they're going to pay it back. That's called the due on sale clause that the, all the money that I've let you borrow is due on the transfer of the title from, from you to someone else. And it's very important that you recognize most banks don't care if that check's coming in, they don't care where it's coming from. Right. But there are, <coughs> excuse me, scenarios where that might change, right? Like we wait, see a spike in interest rates right now. You're getting loans at three, four or 5%. Well, if interest rates go up and you're getting loans at 15%, the bank might say, I want my money back. Cause I want to go lend it to someone at 15%, not the four or five. And if they have the opportunity to take it back with a due on sale clause, they will. So you're very wise to be careful using that. It doesn't mean you should avoid it. It doesn't mean that like subject to is bad and you, you should, you should look at it. It means you need to understand what you're getting into. That's one of the things that I really respect about the way that you're investing is that you're not just saying, Oh, well, this is what I do. I'm a subject to investor. I go buy stuff subject to, and you just blindly follow this path because it's always worked before. You're looking at every single different angle from this and finding the piece that works the best. And one thing that you mentioned that I don't want to get overlooked is that you're actually speaking to the sellers at length when you first talk to them and getting their story so that you know which of these tools is going to work better, right? Is that you're like a contractor that's going and looking over the whole house and seeing exactly what tools you're going to need to bring to this thing to the mm -hmm. job site rather than showing up with my hammer and my saw because that's all I have and I'm just going to hammer and saw whatever I can. By asking questions and listening to people's situations and then understanding real estate investing at a deep level, you can come up with a solution that will work best for them. And as a byproduct of that, it will work for for you and you'll be building your wealth. That's how the best investors make things happen. Brandon and I always say, when you're finding an investment property, you're looking for some form of distress. What you're describing right now, Paul, is a personal distress, most likely. Mm -hmm. They need to sell this house and they don't want it. That means you're solving a problem. You're not just finding a great deal. Like there's nobody out there who's just like Johnny Appleseed throwing out great deals because they're this nice, benevolent person that wants to give things away. You're inheriting someone else's problem that they can't solve. So the more tools you have, the more likely you're going to be to solve it. That's why you've been so successful. Brandon, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> I love when you ask that. You're like, uh, you're thinking, man, I've been talking for a while. I better get Brandon a chance. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. I don't want to eclipse your greatness. No, I guess my, my thought was this, like, I don't do subject two because it makes me nervous. There's nothing wrong with it, but I just haven't done it. In fact, I actually wrote a whole chapter when I wrote the book on investing in real estate with no one loaning down. I wrote a whole chapter on it. Then I took it out mm -hmm. of the book. And when we published it, I didn't include it in there because I was like, well, I don't actually do this. I did every other strategy in the book. I didn't do that one. And, and there are a lot of things to be nervous about. So here, I guess my bottom line is this, like, don't be afraid of it, but if you're going to do it, learn how to do it. Like it's, it's complicated, maybe a little bit. So even if you're listening to this it show is, right now, yeah, don't get it. It is complicated. It is. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff in the back end with the insurance and figuring out how, if you're going to try and obfuscate the fact that the title was transferred using land trust and it gets, it can get complicated pretty quickly. And it's probably, it's way too deep to want to go into here. But if you decide that you want to use that sort of technique, then it is something. It is something that you want to go find a book on real, on subject yeah. to, or you want to go to a conference that is talking about the nuances yeah. of it. Or there, there's a lot of content, and, and it's it's very mixed on Bigger Pockets forums about yep. the pros and cons of it. I actually use it. Um, 
oftentimes when there's not even institutional debt involved, I'll do sub two um, amongst friends. And a lot of people don't realize that I, I like to invest in little posses and we invest with each other in like this kind of gaggle in a group of people that are doing investments where we're loaning money to each other. And I'm happy to have somebody um, so, uh, do a subject two of my mortgage that I've lent to somebody else on so long as I know that the collateral is, is good and that I know who the new payer is. Yeah. Um, and that's all the, 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 the lender is typically want to know is the person that's going to pay, are they reliable? And so it's actually, if you talk to lawyers, that blows their mind that that, that sub two exists, unless you, you they realize that it's actually, um, it's often done amongst interested parties that know each other already. That's not that uncommon. But when it's on like a random seller that you don't really have a relationship with, that's where it's uncommon amongst the, 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 the legal people you talk to. Fantastic. Yeah, that's just really, really good advice. Again, yeah, if, with anything, yeah, just get get the right knowledge, get the right information, get all that good stuff. Whenever I used to travel, I would get that creeping feeling that I locked my back door. How do I know my property is going to be safe while I'm away? But not anymore, thanks to Simply Safe Home Security. I'm about to go on a three-week trip to Copenhagen, but am I tripping about my trip? Nope. With award-winning security and peace of mind from Simply Safe, I don't need to worry. Simply Safe is a super amazing alarm system that I actually installed in my house myself personally in less than 30 minutes. And there's so much peace of mind knowing that there's something in place to protect my homes, my goods, and my John Mayer shrine. Simply Safe systems have high-tech sensors that detect break-ins, fires, and floods, indoor and outdoor cameras to keep watch night and day, 24/7 professional monitoring at less than $1 a day. Plus, Simply Safe professional monitoring agents can even help stop crime in real time by speaking to intruders through the wireless indoor camera. Hey, hey bud, get out of here. It's like that, but it's a lot better, I imagine. And if you buy the system and you don't love it, you can get a full refund with Simply Safe's 60-day money-back guarantee. Simply Safe has given me and many of our listeners real peace of mind, and I want you to have it too. Right now, get 20% off of any new Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com/pockets. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Whether you need to buy or sell, or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find a home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours even on the same day with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help you get the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Listeners, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. They've rolled out proof of income verification. Let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. And if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for just $1. How great of a deal is that? That's one eighth of a Chipotle. That's pretty good. Visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor, to get six months of Rent Ready for $1. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. 
With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from 6, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com VP. Connectinvest.com VP. And speaking of like knowledge and, and gaining that stuff, I was reading the notes on kind of what we uh, had talked to you about ahead of time, you know, kind of a pre-interview. Mm-hmm. And in there, it says, I lie every day. <laughs> I want to know, I, I want to know what you mean by that. I lie L dot I dot E every day. What does that mean? Okay. It's an, it's an acronym. Um, and it's, um, for me, this is kind of my own personal philosophy and it's just kind of a funny way to remember it when I talk to people is I, I, I learn every day. And so what I do is I always want to make myself better. And so the way I became an investor and, and did the amount of deals I did in the short, relatively short amount of time, considering my experience level was that I, poured myself into investing my, my inner game or improving my inner game such that I could transform myself to become something else so that I could get where I want to be. And I want to always learn. I spend probably two to four hours a day investing on or learning somehow improving myself. And so the next is invest, learn, invest. And so I invest can be apply or invest. I always believe even if you have a day job, you don't want to quit it. You should always be investing, investing monetarily or investing what you've learned and applying what you've learned for the future to do these little test cases, these trials, how am I going to get a little bit better every day? And that's what I call investing. And then last and probably the most important one is enrich somebody else constantly. I always want to find somehow to uh, basically take what I've learned, take what um, I've invested in and take what I've applied. And how can I share that with somebody else? How can I enrich and, and make somebody else better? Because I believe in the giver giver's gain principle of um, the more I help somebody else, the more I empower other people and, and make them better. It'll come back to me somehow. I don't know when or how, but it always comes back somehow. That's cool. That's true. I was, uh, I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again now. I was doing research for a, a, a potential book that I'm working on. And in there, uh, I found the stat and it was something I'm going to get it wrong because it's not perfect. But basically it was like for every dollar a person gives, like they earn back like a dollar 83 or something like that. And it was like this, like, right. like principle, they did this study about people who gave versus didn't give. And it found out that people who are more generous with their money or whatever, I mean, specifically we're talking about money, but in general generosity you receive back even more than that. And I'm like, I'm not guaranteeing. It's kind of like the, I don't know, TV preachers who are like, just send in your seed of faith and you'll be rich. It's not like that. But like, there's this thing when people give, when we, when we release our grasp, that money is this finite thing that we have to hold on to. And it's scarce. When we release that into the world and say, Hey, I'm going to be generous with my money and with my time. There's just something happens. Have you found that in your own life as well? Absolutely. I think you guys are both a member of, or part of go, go abundance and I, I'm not, but that's, I live up to the same kind of concept or this this life in air concept that there is yeah. plenty of money for all the things you truly want there. Um, if, if you want them badly enough, and I believe in an abundance mindset that 
Yeah, I was I was raised, and probably most everybody listening, and maybe even you guys were raised in a scarcity mindset. And yep. there, there's more money out there, and there's more there's there's plenty of time for anything you want to do if you want to do it badly enough. And so I absolutely believe that. Yeah, that's so true. So, all right. So speaking of the money, I want to talk a little bit more about your kind of concepts with money. Again, I had some notes here that I want to make sure we cover. Uh, one of the things that you had written when you would send us some emails, it said, we all think we want money, but that's not really true. What do you mean by that? That's right. Um, so I'm gonna give you a scenario for both of you. Um, would you rather have a hundred thousand dollar house that pays you a thousand dollars a month in rent, or would you rather have a a note that you've invested in that pays you six percent return? It's a hundred thousand dollars, or would you rather have a promissory note that's worth a hundred thousand dollars that um, did not in, increase in, in value, had no return, and actually decreased in value? Which of those three would you rather have? <laughs> um, I, I think I'd want the. If I understand the question, right, I think I'd want the. The rental house that gives me okay. the hundred thousand dollars. So it was a promissory a note or a rental uh, house or what was the other option? And, and the third option was another promissory note that had no return and it was depreciating in value every day. I'd probably go with the rental house. Okay. the The third option is a hundred thousand dollars cash. Oh, so right, do you a, actually do you want cash? Really, you yeah, want what no. cash can do for you, right? right? Yep. Yeah. Right. So you're gonna take that cash. And you're going to take the cash and go invest it into a $100,000 house, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what you do. Or if you prefer to do notes, then you would go and invest in a note that gives you 6% return. But you don't have all the headaches, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't actually want cash. You just want what cash can give you. It's flexible and you can spend it on whatever you want. That's why it's nice. But it's a terrible investment. You would not want to hang on to cash. You don't want money. You want what money can do for you. And I, I definitely want more money and I love money. And I'm, not, I'm proud to say that I love money. But I love what money can do for me. Yeah, that's so true. And I think, I think keeping that in mind as people get into real estate is so important because a lot of times we think of a number, like I want to be a millionaire or I want to have $10 million in the bank, but I like, I like to kind of challenge people with like, well, what do you really want? What, what, what is the purpose of that? Well, I want to be able to quit my job and travel the world. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well that that's different. Keep that in mind. You want to build a life that enables you to do that. Right. I, how many investors do we know that are like get into real estate because they want this mythical financial freedom and then they work a hundred hours a week, even when they're financially free. Right. So what, their whole goal was to get out of work and not have to work so much, spend more time traveling and, and hanging with family and working hobbies. And then they don't actually do that. It's like this. Never, they just traded one rat race for another one. You have to be very careful or you go buy yourself another job. Yep. Yeah. It's very, it's very true. So how do you balance that in terms of, you know, you want, investments that pay you passive income, but you also need like, you know, potentially flipping houses or wholesaling. Do you do any uh -huh. of that stuff? Like how do you balance that I, in I your do. life? I, I do all three. So uh, the way, way my business is set up is that I have um, my, my end game is to have um, seven streams of income and each one of them can stand on their own because wealthy people have seven streams of income. Um, it could be five, it could be eight, it doesn't matter. The idea is that I, I don't depend on just one. So rentals is kind of the foundation that I have now. So I have about 25 and I'll probably add about six or so this year, give or take. And there's no magic number to it if I can find the right deal. And once I hit about 40, then I, I don't want any more. And that's one pillar, so to speak. Um, and I also do note investing. Um, and so I do that out of my IRA and my solo 401k. I lend money or I buy other notes that are not performing or performing or depending on your, your preference. And then I also have a stock portfolio from my previous days when I was investing and I just kind of keep that. And that's in what that's why it's third pillar. So I'm working on pillar number four and pillar number four is kind of doing more wholesaling and, and, and more flips because I'm doing this marketing. I've gotten good at marketing. So that is 
um, a way to make money. And I, and I do layups when it comes to this stuff. I don't do any of the work. I already have the contractors line up. I use my network effectively to get all this stuff done. I will do a flip for which I am not, I have no money in it and I have nothing. All I did was brought, I brought the deal or I, or I brought the buyer from my buyer's list and I stay in, I like to do effectively what they call wholetailing where you take a property to title and you take title of the property and then you just slow down trying to sell the property and you want to get as much out of it in its current condition or with very light rehab. I'm not getting it retail ready. I don't really like selling to retail buyers because of all the complexities and the lawsuit potentials. I like to hotel to other investors instead. But instead of having to get a five or $10,000 assignment, I can get sometimes 10, 20, $30,000 deal off of doing a hotel. It's the same house with little to no work. The additional effort is getting utilities on and taking title. That's, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm kind of speechless. This is like, you've got this down to a science where you're getting all the benefits of real estate investing with, right. without most of the headaches. You're just doing the layups, right? But you didn't start off that way. You had to start off getting your teeth kicked in like everybody else, seeing what works, seeing what didn't work, yeah. doing more of what worked, doing less of what didn't work, building up your confidence to get other people involved. You, you mentioned something earlier, the third party catalyst that you look for to kind of make a deal happen. And what you're just describing, I can see, like I brought the flip, I didn't do anything else. None of the money, none of the work. Can you mm -hmm. tell me about some of the ways you recognize a third party catalyst that you think would help you and, and what you look for them to accomplish in your deals? Sure. It always starts with a deal. And so you have a deal that someone brings to you and they, they ask about it. Hey, um, I have a, a deal and I, it's, it's a good flip. And they tell you all these details about it. And I don't care. I don't care. It's a house, whatever. Um, it's everything's fixable. What is it? I want to know what's, what's the random repairs and they try it. Well, it's 17, but no, no. Is it 15 or 20? Just tell me. Okay. It's 20. And I round up $20,000. Okay. So you need 50 acquisition. You need 20 uh, to purchase it. And you think the ARV is a is hundred. I'll work with that. What do you need to make that happen? You need $70,000. Well, do you know anybody who has $70,000? Go find somebody that's a third party that comes in and brings. Maybe I have it. Maybe I don't. Sometimes what I do is I'll say, okay, well, how about this? I'll do that deal with you. I'll bring $70,000 to the table and do your flip. And then I turn around. I go find somebody that I know has money that's sitting around looking for investment. And then I will buy it and wrap the mortgage around it. Or I'll lend on it and wrap the mortgage. And I'll have two into it. And somebody else will bring 68. So my 2000 is all I have right now in my solo 401k. Everything else is tapped out. But I have that interest that's come in. I want to put it back to work. I want the interest to compound on itself. So then I just have that $2,000 wrapped around. And, I, and I'm in the middle of the deal. So I'm not brokering money. I'm still a principal involved. And I am kind of the senior guy involved. Somebody is a new flipper. I've seen the house. I'm comfortable with it. And that person who lends money to me at 68 at say 8%, but I'm getting 15 on my two. It's fine with that. And they know that's happening. What makes that possible is that people come to you as the expert. They trust you because you're an honest person yeah. and they trust you because you know what you're right. doing and you've made it happen. And you've got this like aura about you that, hey, Paul is a calming influence that can make this happen. And that's why you're able to be involved in a deal with $2,000 that somebody else wouldn't be able to be. And that was a result of you studying real estate and getting involved and taking action for long enough and developing into this person's because I can already hear a lot of the objections coming. Nobody would ever let me be in on a deal for $2,000. Well, that's because you're not Paul. But what's stopping you from becoming him? 
What's stopping you from learning enough about real estate that you're the guy that has all the answers that someone says, Hey, I found a good deal. I don't know what to do with it. Well, you know enough about real real estate that you process it down every single option in your brain. And you're like, yep, we'll use this. We'll use this. We'll use this. You're like the general contractor that puts it all together. The general contractors don't swing the hammers. They don't pull the cabinets off. They don't get the splinters. They don't work hard, right? They have the vision. They put the thing together and they benefit from their knowledge and the relationships they have with their subcontractors. It's the same thing you're doing. You're playing the role of GC, general contractor with these deals. You're bringing in all the pieces that are needed. And that's how you're able to make $3,500 an hour with your time. It's why you're able to make deals work that other people can't. It's why you're sitting in the captain seat because you learned, you paid the price. You didn't try to take the easy way out. You didn't try to get involved in real estate investing without ever feeling anxiety. I mean, you just did everything right. And now you're benefiting. And that's what I want everyone to hear is that there is a like there's a, a summit to this mountain that we're all climbing. And when you get there and you're sitting in the captain's seat, it's pretty nice. Can you give us any any examples, Paul, or any uh, maybe advice for what you did to get here so that someone else taking that same journey can get there faster or better? Well, it's back to that, um, that lie. Every, I lie every day. That's exactly. And I think that, that to myself, okay, today I need to learn something. How can I be a little bit better? And to be successful is a, is a choice, not a destination. And I was like, I choose to be successful, but I have to transform into something else to become that. And that transformation is what makes it possible. And like you say, it takes three to five years. That does not happen overnight, but you, you got to put in the paces. Personally, I liked it. I like to learn. It's step number one, learn. So it's not that hard for me to then apply it, test it. Oh, and then share it. And I, uh, people come to me quite a bit asking for help and I'm, I'm an open book and I help, help however I can. For the people who have read my article on how I bought and analyzed a deal in five minutes without ever seeing it, this was the guy that I was talking to, right? Like I met Paul, I talked to Paul, <laughs> I could immediately tell Paul knows what he's doing. Everyone that was there at the conference I met you at spoke very well about you. I did a little bit of research and I knew he's an honest guy. I feel safe with them, right? So I was fine buying a deal that you provided me the information on five minutes into hearing about mm -hmm. it and putting it under contract, right? Now, there's still due diligence yeah. that goes to involved. It's not like it I just jumped off a cliff and said, well, I, I'll trust that this parachute Paul gave me is going to open, right? But I, I, there's no right. reason not to buy it. That's what I want people to understand. When you become that guy who everybody looks to, opportunities come up that don't, that aren't there for other people, you know, and like, you're just, you're doing everything mm -hmm. right, Paul. And I love that. Brandon, you've been quiet for a while. <laughs> I have been a little quiet. No, you've been, you've been, you've been covering this. That's good. Tell me, Paul, one last question before we move on. Uh, I'm wondering, it took you 15 years to get into this game. You know, it took you 15 years of yeah. sitting on the sideline, right? Why, why does it take people so long and what advice do you have to others who are listening to this going, you know what? I don't want to be sitting here 15 years from now thinking I still want to get into real estate. So what advice do you have for those people? I had to find the pain. I kind of floundered for a while. I, I poured myself into work and then you kind of come out of it and I really realize, oh my gosh, I'm in what I call the real world matrix. I am exchanging my time for money. I'm jacked into the cubicle just like Neil was and I'm there. And when you realize that and your eyes are opened and you finally take the right pill, you're like, I, and, and that's what I actually would, would harness that pain. Like I will not accept this. This is, and once you got to find that pain, that deep seated emotional outcome or that deep seated emotional pain to drive you towards the summit, like you used a while ago, David, to actually get where you want to go. And until you find that for you, and that's not going to be the same for everybody. I mean, some people really like their jobs, but what happens when your dad has cancer and you can't go spend time with them because you have to spend time at work that might change. And yeah. if you don't have the freedom to say, I have the income stream to walk away, 
or go on sabbatical or demand. It's amazing when you have what is called screw you money and you have streams of income and you're not working for money anymore, then the, the power struggle or power shift is entirely on your side of the ledger. And you can basically dictate to your employer or dictate to, to life what you're going to do. You make, I want to control. And if you want control, if you need control and you realize you don't actually have, you're not happy, that's what you need to find. That's super, super insightful. Yeah. Like, I'm again, like you might not hate your job right now. You might have a great job, but like you said, like what if all of a sudden something changes, a family member gets sick or you need more time off or you have another kid or whatever. Right. So by setting ourselves up now, knowing that the future is uncertain, like, let's like, let's give ourselves the best opportunity of having an amazing life for the next 80 years rather than living reactively to, Oh crap, something bad happened. Now I better, Oh, I don't have any rentals. So Yeah you know, feel the pain point and also know that the future is going to be uh, uncertain. Uh, super, super good. So, all right. So uh, we could probably talk for a hundred hours here, but you know, we're, we, we've been doing this for an hour. So I want to be respectful of your time today, Paul, as well. So let's shift gears here and head over to the world famous fire round. Fire round. It's time for the fire round. All right, let's get to the fire round. These questions come direct out of the Bigger Pockets forums, which I know, Paul, you're active in. So um, you might have seen these before. If not, they're going to be fresh and new for you. Number one, overnight, the ceiling in the main floor bathroom of our fourplex collapsed due to a water leak. We tried to enter the unit above to shut the water off, and there's an angry pit bull inside. The lease says no pets. I can't get a hold of the tenant. Now what do I do? That's a really unique question. That's not that That's absurd. a very specific problem. Yeah. Well, first off, you... You turn the you turn off the turn off the water. Yes, and then number one, I always I, the only tool that I ever carry around at all ever is a a T a, a bar from Home yep. Depot for seven dollars. I cannot tell you how many people, including contractors, including plumbers, that don't have one. Yep. And my house is flooding. Uh, so next, um, they they have a pit bull. Um, okay, call animal shelters. It's almost certainly not. <laughs> supposed to be yeah. there. It's not legal. They're, they're gone. I, I have taken too, too much grief from tenants. Um, if they break the leases, they don't do things and they're causing problems. I, I prefer to do things like cash for keys. And, and in this case, you'd probably file an insurance report and they'd have to move anyway. So the problem would probably solve itself. But um, yeah, that's no, I, I don't like to um, leave people in that, that are, are um, not cooperative and not following the rules. There you go. But I would do it with cash for keys. I would do it with cash for keys to begin with before eviction. What's yeah, I, cash for keys, Paul? Yeah. Cash for keys is when you offer to a tenant to move for, if they won't move first off by, by themselves, because they're being uncooperative, you say, well, how about I give you $300 on Friday? And when you're, when your stuff's out and the, the, you have the keys and I'll give you 300 bucks and you move in the, in the next place versus the potential thousand dollars or more that it might cost to wherever you happen to live for, for an eviction. There you go. There you go. All right, Paul, next question. Right now, my wife and I are looking for a property to buy. A lot of the ones I am seeing. You didn't tell me, David? Come on. <laughs> okay. But um, this is why Brandon's a podcast. So it's not a comedian. <laughs> All right. A lot of the ones I'm seeing are already renovated and have tenants. Is it worth it to invest in one of those or should I buy a nasty one and fix it? And they're looking for an investment, I presume? Yes. Are they trying to buy a house hack or what? Yeah, or uh, they just say they're, they're looking for a property to buy. They're basically saying, okay. should I buy a turnkey well, house that's in really good shape or should I go for a fixer upper? But it would end up depending on what they want. If they just want to live live in themselves and they're not looking for an investment, just buy the most convenient one like a typical retail buyer would be. I assume since they're on the forums that they're looking for an investment, I always like to be able to buy equity 
and put sweat equity into it, which you're doing a house hack, especially if you have the potential to do house hacking um, and you're willing to do with the uh, additional headache that it takes, how can you not do house hacking? It is probably the single greatest lever available to somebody trying to reach financial independence. Yeah, totally agreed. Totally agreed. All right. Number three here. It's kind of a long question, but I think it's a really good one that a lot of people are, are struggling with. I'm actually going to summarize it because it's a really long question. But basically, this guy, before he got into financial freedom, real estate, this whole idea of early retirement, he was living like everybody else. And so he says uh, when he was uh, he bought a brand new 2013 Chrysler 300 because he thought he deserved it to have this uh, amazing thing because he worked hard. But now he's got this massive car payment that's like more than a mortgage payment. And he still owes 15 grand left on it. So he's wondering, should I just sell the car? Maybe even though I can't sell for the same amount, should I just pay it off as quick as possible? What's your advice to somebody like that who's stuck with that huge, massive payment? If you can find a way to, uh, have you ever heard of this uh, the car service that to where um, it's like it's like Uber, but you can actually rent your car Turo. out on the weekends? Turo. Find yeah. a way to make that. Yeah, Turo, that's it. I, I, I consider doing it, but I was just, I, I'm too lazy. Um, yeah. If you are in a, in a pinch, you have to make your, whatever you have available to you, whether it be a house for house, hack, house hacking or car for car hacking, make that thing useful. Start doing Uber. If, if it's a nice car, turn that a- asset or turn that liability into an asset, even if it doesn't actually break even. I assume he needs a car. So if he sells it, he's going to lose money. Um, so why not think a little bit differently and try and figure out a way to make that um, make money? I love I don't it. Know, give, uh, go, go to a clown, you know, uh, a store, you know, it, there's no way <laughs> that you're not going to find a way to make that make money if you want it to. It's just, you don't have the desire to, you just want a way out. You made the mistake to get into it at, at that much. Find a way out. Think outside the box. There is no box. F- figure out a way. I like it. That's awesome. Very good, Paul. All right. Last question. I read the book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, which side note, Paul actually helped edit. Cool thing. All right. I, I will be completing that. my, yeah, Paul was the guy that, uh, so any spelling errors, we can blame Paul and, uh, <laughs> we'll be, <laughs> so I read the book and we'll be completing my first slip in two months with the profits. I would want to reinvest in a rental in a more affordable market. And all my research has led me to the Midwest and to the Southeast. The research has included the buy to rent ratios on Zillow and has given me some cities to look into. What more would you do to determine which market you would want to focus on to build your core for? I love that question. And it has almost nothing to do with the market itself. It's where you have connections. Invest where you know or invest where you know people. Then figure out if it fits the numbers that you're working for. The numbers for an investment, for a, real, for a rental investment, for cash flow are going to work. You can pick anywhere from Tulsa, Oklahoma over to Savannah, Georgia and, so, and up to Cleveland. And between that area someplace, there are a major metropolitan area, it cash flows somewhere, somehow. And they all have their pros and cons and you can stack rank them. It doesn't matter. Find somewhere where you know a property manager, you know a good agent. That's where you start. Then you find the house. I could not agree more. And that's pretty much exactly what I said in the book. So nice. thank you for. Maybe that. I read it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, let's, let's shift gears one last time and head over to the world famous. Famous for. Now, these are the same four questions we ask every guest every week. But before I throw them at you, Paul, let's hear over. Uh, let's hear from Mindy on what is going on this week over on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Thanks for asking, Brandon. This week on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, we talked to Chris and Debbie Emick, a couple with two daughters who are working towards financial independence. A combination of local and long distance real estate investing, coupled with frugality and conscious spending, have them very close to financial freedom. 
All right. Now it's time for the famous four. All righty. So let's get to the famous four. Question number one. Paul, what is your favorite or current favorite real estate related book? Okay. So I really liked the Building Wealth One House at a Time. It was written by a guy named John Schaub. I've actually been to his um, conferences and that's where I learned how to the door knock and I actually have been to his house. Super nice guy. He's a just a sage of real estate. And his principle is buy, build wealth, buying one house at a time. So if you're just getting started, you're ne- never, that is just the greatest way to start. It doesn't, the numbers are, not, are nice and round and they're always a little too convenient, but the concept is of how to approach it is perfect. If you want to learn how to actually run the numbers to figure out your NOI or whatnot, the ABCs of real estate is still the best one I found to for that for an average mortal to actually understand. And it talks about apartments or multifamily, but actually um, it works the same principle. It works for single family. And I still use that today on my single family investments is I do the same uh, numbers. And I use the same due diligence process that he uses for multifamily. Well, you are anything but an average mortal. That's why I thought that was funny. You're a bit of a god among no, men. No, got you. All right. <laughs> Tell me, what is your favorite business book? Okay, so I like, if you're not really good at finances yet, I really like um, the, the Richest Man in Babylon just to get your head on straight about finances. It's just super simple. It's a quick read. Um, if you're for the take the next step, um, if you're talking about a business and how to make it perform better, whether it's real estate or not, The Pumpkin Plan by Mike Mikowski or whatever his name is, um, Mike McAllowitz. Um, that is, was a good book. How, it's just how... It's a brilliant book. Um, it's a, a lot of things with the one thing and the pumpkin plan are very similar, but the pumpkin plan kind of gives you specifics on how to do it with, with a business. And you want to basically, the, the summary is the niches are in the riches and fire your worst clients or in our case tenants. Uh, and so the next book that I would recommend is by the same author, Mike McElowitz, is The Profit First. And it is how to uh, remove the psychology of bake balance budgeting that so many small business owners do. You look at that checking account and you think, oh, I have 10,000, 20,000, whatever's in there. I have a lot of money and you make decisions based on your expenses. When in fact you should have had in your books or however you run things that you should actually have 5,000 of that allocated for, for, for business or for taxes or for 5,000. And you always pay yourself first. So profit first. And it reduces that operating account that you're actually making buying decisions out of to a very small number that you make a rational. And the one I'm crazy about now is, is the big leap. Have you guys read the big leap by Gay Hendricks? No, no. I, I think you guys should read it. You would love it. I, mean, I know, I know Brandon, you're a big reader. It basically allows you to, um, it teaches you how to break through the, the upper limit problem that he says so many of us have when you gain success, we sabotage ourselves because we've kind of gone beyond our comfort level and it triggers us to kind of sabotage ourselves. And our, our thermostat has gone too high and we were uncomfortable and it walks you through how to kind of work your way around that and kind of find your zone of genius. And, and ironically, real estate is probably not my zone of genius. What, what is your zone of genius? My, my zone of genius is actually helping other people have mindset shifts on how to uh, attack life and actually find their own personal zone of genius and empower them. So uh, I never knew it, but actually David was saying, I actually, people trust me nat- naturally. I don't try to do that. People trust me and I'm, I'm trustworthy. And so people open up to me about things that I didn't know. I, so um, <laughs> maybe I should be a therapist or some sort of a coach or something. That's funny. Do, do you ever, are you ever told that you look like a young Steve Jobs? Cause you look just like a young Steve Jobs. It's kind of mm, weirding me out creepy. a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to find a picture and put it side yeah, by side with no, you no, right I'm, now. now I'm re- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, let's move on. You know, <laughs> it, Mindy Jensen is always saying that Brandon looks like the lead singer of the Spin Doctors. I don't even know so what I the know. Spin Doctors is. 
It was a band when we were like really little that probably yeah. either you we or sing I was one allowed of the, to listen we sing to. One of their, yeah, probably not. Wait, we like, yeah. listen, sing one of their songs, David. What are, what are the songs? I don't oh. know, and I wasn't allowed <laughs> okay. to listen to them. Paul, okay. you got anything? I wouldn't be able to either, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. All right, well, we want to know, does Brandon look more like the lead singer of the Spin Doctors, or does Paul look more like a young Steve Jobs? Yeah. I don't think I look like anybody. Yeah, I yourself. get left out of these conversations. Yeah, just, just yeah I'm an original. Old. Just ugly. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody famous is as ugly as me. All right, Paul, <laughs> what, are some, what are some of your hobbies? Uh, so hobbies right now are, um, I've started podcasting. Um, I'm trying to get better at public speaking. Um, I, I find that's something I'm going into more is, uh, is like, I have these ideas and I want to be able to more effectively share those. And then I, I do, I'm, I'm getting into a lot into uh, fitness and, and diet and I'm uh, like, Going all like plant based and everything, getting all granola. <laughs> very, very. And I'm gonna live to be 123. I'm gonna make it you're to 2100. Gonna, you're gonna, gonna make it to 2100. Brandon, he lives in Washington, and that's how everybody there is very <laughs> granola. That's a very good way to put it. Yeah, I would fit right in. Uh, <laughs> you would fit right in, especially with the beard. It's 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 very worthy of the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, oh, the beard's in for sure. All right, last question for me: What do you believe sets apart successful real estate investors from those who give up, fail? or never get started. It's kind of restating what I said before, but it is absolutely finding that deep seated inner fire on. And, and I, it's, what's crazy is it doesn't have to be about real estate. Real estate is a vehicle is a tool to get you where, where, where you want to go. And if you want to escape the rat race, if you are, you're tired of being on, on the hamster wheel and like the word I use, like you're in the real world matrix and you want, and you just see that, that, that realization and you want out. And, and I, that helped picture that and actually and th there's a there's a formula that's called tier t-e-a-r thoughts plus emotions plus actions equals results and you have to you have to have the thoughts in order to to think about it but the emotions are what's clear and once you harness those emotions your actions kind of come subsequently as a result and then you get your results Fantastic. Well, will real estate also get you out of the rate RAS or just the rat race? Yeah, the rate RAS is what we called it, right? You yeah. in that one? Trade think, market. You know, in a serious yeah. note, The Matrix is an incredibly good movie to watch if you're looking to change your life in any way. Whatever your struggle is that you're trying to get out I of, I love, love, love that movie just for the you mindset that it the kind of Yeah, the, the idea that you can shoot your way out of anything. It just it changes. Right. <laughs> Or you can just like learn, just like, like just slipping your eyes. I yeah, know yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Isn't that the theme of the Matrix? It's like you just shoot enough people and you can get out of anything. I think hey, you just theme. plug that thing into the back of your head, and I know how to fly a helicopter. <laughs> I mean, it's it's worked for me so far, so I can only support it. <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> Hey, Paul, I so appreciate you sharing so much wisdom with us that you have and so many of these like really good concepts. I could probably talk to you all day long and I hope everyone who listens to this goes back and listens again because I guarantee that you will find more if you listen to this a second time. Tell me for the people who want to learn more about you, where can they find out more about you? Okay. Yeah. I'm on bigger pockets. I'm pretty active there. And I have a, a website that's called levelupmastermind.info. That's .info, not .com. And that will take you over to my, to my website. And I am actually, will have a free offer to anybody who is on bigger pockets that's interested. If you're hitting that upper limit and you have a struggle on that page, there's a, a questionnaire, fill it out. I will answer you personally on what is the struggle that you're ha you, you, that you have that is keeping you from uh, branching out or taking yourself to the next level to level up your life. Um, send it in there and I will uh, get out to you personally. Awesome. All right. Good deal. Well, thank you, Paul. This was fun. Uh, I learned a ton, I had a ton of good ideas that I'd never, never even heard of. So I, I love that. I love learning new stuff. So thank you so much for sharing and I'm sure we'll yeah. see you around the bigger pockets community. 
Thanks for having me. Thank you, bro. And that was our show with Paul Thompson. Fantastic. I loved, I loved all the actionable stuff that was in that episode. Like I love just hearing, you know, how he's getting deals and how that system works with the virtual assistants and, and the phone calls and all that. I think, yeah, I'm totally inspired. Yeah. That three letter option of intent system that he's put together, uh, that alone is worth its weight in gold. I'm going to start doing that immediately. Yeah. Very, very cool. So yeah, if you guys, uh, you know, if you find your mind wandering during that show or anything like that, which would be tough because he was so good at like giving good raw information, but if go back and listen to it again, like grab a notebook, listen on your drive home from work or whatever, and apply those things to your life. Don't just listen and go, Oh, that was cool. But figure out what are you going to apply today in your life that he talked about today? What one thing can you do today? Like right now in your business. And uh, if you don't know what that is, go listen again and you'll find lots of gold. So very cool. Very cool. Nice, nice pick there, David Green on, you know, choosing Paul for the show. I am happy to contribute. The more listeners that we have subscribing, the better guests that we can get on here, the more value we can bring and the more money we can make everyone. So you better you get go. some bigger pockets. There you go. So uh, if you are interested in becoming a guest on the Bigger Pockets podcast, we do have a system, a process in place for dealing with that. Lots of people want to come on the show and we would love to have you. If you are awesome, have done at least, we like to say at least a dozen or 10 deals uh, you've put together and you have a great personality, go to biggerpockets.com slash guest, G-U-E-S-T. And that kind of starts the process. We can't guarantee anything. We get lots and lots of submissions, but uh, we want to hear from you and I'll give you a hint. If you want to increase your chance of getting on the show, submit a video with your application. There's a spot you can link to a video. Just record something on your phone. It uh, shows our producer kind of a little bit who you are. So with that, we got to get out of here. David Green, you want to add anything or take us out? This is David Green for Brandon Rate Rass Turner. <laughs> signing off. I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> You're listening to Bigger Pockets Radio, simplifying real estate for investors large and small. If you're here looking to learn about real estate investing without all the hype, you're in the right place. Be sure to join the millions of others who have benefited from BiggerPockets.com, your home for real estate investing online. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the BiggerPockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it, optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants? All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming Small Multifamily Bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the Small Multifamily Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.